Welcome to the Fit Archer Podcast, my friends. I'm your host, J.P. Penscover. On episode 43 of the podcast, sit down with my new friend, Jeremy Appel from northern Wisconsin. Jeremy is a dealer with Rambo Bikes. You can find him at ebikepros.com. I'll put those links in the web in the show notes. And definitely check those out. This was a really fun podcast because I've been interested in e-bikes for a long time. There's multiple e-bikes in the industry, and there's things that set some of them apart. And uh, Jeremy and I have mutual friends, and Jeremy's built a great business. He's an incredible distributor for Rambo Bikes. He's a huge believer in the bikes himself. You hear that in the story. And you can kind of hear a little bit about what sets this bike apart, you know, the applications and the benefits of using them. It was really, really just an incredible podcast, and uh, it's got me so fired up to want one of these bikes and, uh, you know, eliminate scent, be more efficient when I get in and out of hunting areas. And there's a place, there's places in Arizona that I could really do well with e-bikes. They got carts to haul stuff, man. I just, I see endless uses for these bikes and, uh, you get a chance to hear that with, with Jeremy in this podcast. So that was a lot, a lot of fun. And, uh, if you're looking for one of those bikes, search him online and, uh, help him be the number one Rambo distributor in America. So want to thank all my partners um, here with the podcast, I got just some, so many amazing partners and it's always good friends that, you know, I'm aligning myself. I want to thank well-built supplements, my good buddy, Brandon LaRue in Minnesota. I've been close to Brandon for a long time. He's put together some of the greatest supplements you can get. And, uh, you can use discount code WellbuiltJP, WellbuiltJP and save 15% on those supplements and he has everything, everything you can imagine. Just go to his website and check him out. He's got really good stuff. I'm liking it. I got a new, I got another order going in for some more stuff I want to try, but uh, I use it every single day. I use his products every single day, usually right now post-workout with the creatine and glutamine and, and right before bed with the testo balance. And I got some other stuff that's going to be coming. That's going to be great as well. So you can be a well-built human yourself and get in the best shape of your life. Phoenix Shooting Bags, my good buddy, Anthony Stallone over there. He makes the greatest most durable and lightest shooting bags in the industry. If you do any long range shooting with a, a rifle whatsoever, whether it's competition or you're doing long range hunting or just gun hunting in general, you want the, the Phoenix shooting bags in or attached to your pack. Once you learn how to use these things, they are an absolute game changer on, on making um, efficient and killing shots. I'm telling you, they're, they're unbelievable. And you can use discount code THEFITARCHER, THEFITARCHER, and save 15% off the bags. Uh, you got any questions, hit Anthony up. He's a world-class guy. He'll answer all questions. If you're in Arizona, he does shooting demonstrations. He'll take you out shooting and all that kind of stuff. Schmidty's Specialty Strings. If you're looking for custom uh, bow strings, I have the best in the business, Anthony Schmidt over at ssstrings.com. He puts together, he's made hundreds of thousands of strings over the years. He's been doing this forever. He, he knows this industry. He, he lives and breathes archery, lives and breathes bow hunting and making strings. And you can go to his website, ssstrings.com. Pick out any color you want. I always I always joke about this, but it's not just about being a good hunter. It's also looking like a good hunter. So your strings can make that bow pop, get people's attention, and see what you're shooting there. And you can use, um, uh, you just contact me. This is how this works. You go to his website, uh, ssstrings.com, find the colors that you want for the strings and cables. Contact me. Give me the colors that you're looking for, the make and model of your bow. I'll contact Anthony. You pay me the $120, and that's a 20% discount on those strings. And they're world class. They retail at $170, so you're saving you're saving that. That's pretty incredible. So Lacrosse Archery, another great uh, partnership that we have here. Anthony is the lead tech and uh, manager, general manager of Lacrosse Archery in Lacrosse, Wisconsin. That's the archery shop I actually used to work at, where I first met Anthony. 
and uh, he's, he's one of the greatest archery techs that I know personally. And and he again, like I said, he lives and breathes for breathes this stuff. If you're looking for a new bow and uh, you don't have a place local to you that you can get one, you can I, I can put you in touch with Anthony. Get in touch with me. I'll connect you guys. If you get a no, new bow through him and you're one of my listeners or followers, he's going to give you that Schmitty specialty string, $170 value for free. Throws that in, takes off the the stock string and puts on a custom string, and he's going to give you $100 off the new bow price. So you're saving $270 right there. It's an unbelievable deal. I was just informed today that. Uh, Actually, because I'm, I'm releasing two podcasts here, I was informed today that two of my follow, uh, fellow and loyal listeners went in there and picked up a couple bows and got the discounts and the strings. So that's just the way it works. When you got good partners, and uh, I want to point people to the people that I trust. And if and, you know if you're following me and, and you're loyal to the Fit Archer podcast and you like what we're doing, I want to point you in the right direction for things that I believe in as well. So I want to thank all my partners. I want to thank every one of you as being listeners. You can listen to any podcast out there. There's millions and millions of podcasts and you know a lot of you are choosing this one and I thank you very very much I hope to always be just an um, an entertainment and inspiration podcast you know we don't go much further than that because I believe that you know inspired people inspire people and you're going to hear a great podcast today and many more in the future so thanks for listening God bless you and God bless America You are listening to the Fit Archer Podcast. All hunting, all fitness, all the time. Well, Jeremy, welcome to the podcast, my friend. How are you? I am great, and you, sir? I'm good. I call you my friend now because anybody that jumps on the podcast becomes my friend, so I kind of like this world. Sweet. Yeah. So, well, we don't know each other. Um, but we'll have a little bit of fun here. I'll make it good and easy. I'll, I'll tee them all up for you so you can hit home runs on the questions that I ask you and all that stuff. I won't put you on the spot too bad, I promise. Just make me look good. Just make you look good. Well, I think you're doing good anyway. <laughs> so um, this is Jeremy Appel, not Apple. It's pronounced Appel. And uh, Wisconsin, you live in Wisconsin. Are you a Wisconsin native? I am, born and bred. Where at? Uh, Amory, Wisconsin. Oh, dang, you're up north, bear country. Yes. It's, I heard it's a little bit cold up there. Uh, minus five today or something like that. Seven. I actually snuck away for a few days and snuck down to Florida last week and did some bow fishing and stuff just to get out of here when it was like 23 below zero. I saw that. I saw that. I've been following you. So I looked, that looked pretty cool. Well, uh, born and raised in Wisconsin, and I'm, I'm assuming you're probably a Packer fan based on everything I've been watching. Die hard, yes. <laughs> yeah, they had a pretty good season. There's, you know, the Tom Brady. I don't know when you run up against. I, I don't know. Some people love him, some people hate him, but he took it to the big show again and put our Packers out. Right, watching the game, it's like, what are you doing, giving that ball back to that man? Like, <laughs> if there's anybody who can close, he didn't even have to score a point. He just had to close the game. I'm like, usually he has to score points, and he still does it, but. All he had to do was just stop us from getting the ball back. And I'm like, that's just crazy. But yep. I don't run the football team, so I just get to sit back and make my own decisions. Try to run it from home when we're watching the games, though, right? You know, we stand up, jump, yell, scream. <laughs> my dogs go nuts. Like, they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh. <laughs> I, you know, some people talk about, oh, the Cowboys is America's team and everybody's got diehard fans. I just don't know if there's – 
if there's fans like Packer fans. I mean, it just you're you're born and bred. Whether the Brewers are winning or losing, you're just kind of into Brewers and Packers. You know, I, I never really watched a lot of basketball, so I wasn't a Bucks fan. But I mean, you just. I, I never watched college football. I didn't grow up watching college football. Like I'm, I live out in Arizona now, moved out here eight years ago and everybody's, you know, the college football is so big and people are like, you coming over for college game day? I'm like, no, uh, so I'll probably watch the pros tomorrow. And uh, you know, it's just different. I, I grew up watching the Packers. I went down a few years back to Kansas over, over a period of time hunting and you get into that, that area of the country and either they're Kansas city chiefs, fans or they could care less about pro football it is all college kansas state all that kind of stuff and it was like they didn't even watch football on sunday but saturday they were all home watching their team so that's the way it is the way it is out here too i mean college is fun to watch i do i enjoy i just like i like watching good football like watching good football players. So one thing I do respect about Tom Brady is um, I believe he's one of the best quarterbacks. I think he's the best quarterback that's ever played the game personally, but he's fun to watch, but it doesn't matter who I'm watching on a football field. Of course, I'm going to root for the Packers, but I love to watch good football players. I just, you know, humble, good, humble football players. That's what I enjoy watching. Right. I've, I've been a Packer fan since I was a little kid, but there was a stretch there while I was in high school that I was a diehard Barry Sanders fan. And just one of the greatest football players ever to me and how he played the game, how he acted on and off the field. And when he retired, it just about crushed me. I almost like walked away from football for a few years just because, you know, it's just that kind of talent. And you'd think he would like want to play and play and play. And that's when Emmett Smith was huge and breaking all the records. And I'm like, you're just going to give it away. But you get a, there's very few football players, I think, out, that are out there that like make me really, really respect how they played the game. And Tom Brady, you can hate him. You can love him. He's won everything. He's done it all. I don't know how much more the man can do before he retires. I don't know. I mean, I'm... Can you hear me okay? Yes. Oh, okay. I just dropped something there. I'm, I'm 45 <laughs> years old, and I tell you, he's 43 and still doing it. I'm like, man, how in the world is he still doing that at that age? Like, I got to stretch for an hour before I get out of bed. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I think I'm in pretty good shape, but man, oh man, he's doing something right. That's for sure. I just turned 47 this year. So I hear you. Yeah. It's a different world, isn't it? I, I just did a podcast earlier today with a young kid. Um, and the one I did before that too, is a young kid and you know, they're in their mid twenties and they're still getting a bulk phase and they're doing different things. And, and, uh, I'm like, man, it changes as you get older. And I, I remember looking at my dad when he was 40 and I'm like, dad, you're so old. When, how man it takes forever to get there and here i am 45 three kids and aches and pains all over the place but good living that's as the years have went you know it's you keep trying to do the things you did when you were in your 20s but you might still be able to do it but you pay for it for weeks instead of days so that's the truth i, I mess around with my kids a little bit i have a 16 year old athletic and you know, doing different things, guard me. Actually, the other day during the Super Bowl, it was halftime and the Super Bowl show was going, or the halftime show was going. I didn't really care to watch that. So we went outside to play football with my our kids and some friends. And my son, my 12-year-old, goes, guard me, Dad. And I'm like, oh, I guard you like crazy. And I could just push him so he can't get by me. But a couple little <laughs> quick moves, and I'm like, my mind tells me where I want to go, but my feet just don't get there as fast anymore. <laughs> like losing that reaction time is really weird. It's a mind game. Well, my whole life I've kind of went, oh, I'm going to, when I retire, I'm going to go do this and this and this. And then as my friends get older, you know, that are 10 to 15 years older than me, 
you see when they finally hit that retirement age and they can't do the things they used to do. So it's, you know, my bucket lists are getting pretty short here because if I don't go get some of this stuff done, I don't know if you'll physically be able to do it, you know, when you get into your mid fifties. I know there's guys that can, it just doesn't mean I will be able to. Yeah. That's uh fitness is one of my biggest passions. And one of those things, though, fitness is uh, fitness. I love fitness. I work out every day. I love working out. I'm dealing with a shoulder issue right now, so I'm just trading trading body parts and doing a lot more lower body running and you know a lot of lunges, just different stuff. I do a lot of CrossFit too, but I just have a shoulder issue right now, and it's my shoot my bow arms, which is worse because I can't shoot and I usually shoot every day. And uh, yeah, I'm just gonna push through it. I can't take this body where I go with me when I go, so I just got to keep pushing through it and hope for the best. And I guess get nicks and cuts and bruises, bumps replaced and fixed as best I can so that, you know, hopefully I can be hunting mid fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, might have to change the style. That's for sure. I might not be able to chase him with a bow, but long range shooting, maybe I can do that more of that. Right. Yeah. So, you know, some of the big bucket lists are to get to Alaska, do the brown bear thing, maybe do the sheep thing, do the goat thing. Well, that's all high altitude, crazy stuff that, I mean, the average person isn't just going to go jump on that hunt and go do it. So it's, you're going to have to be in pretty good shape to go do those things. Whitetail hunting. I got to ride my Rambo bike to my tree and climb up in it. And, you know, I literally didn't even have to move to get there. So that's a totally different deal. Make those Rambo bikes, climb those big sheep mountains. And that's something right there, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about you and uh, maybe tell the listeners who you are. You know what you, I'm looking at your bio here, owner of e-bike pros, extremestalker.com, signexpress.com. You, you wear many hats, obviously. And uh, I'd like to I talk do. to you, just kind of tell me, you know, obviously you live in Wisconsin, but where you live, you know, what you do, kind of all those little hats. And then I'll dive into some questions for you. I specifically want to dive into some of the, the e-bike type stuff, but, you know, you may talk about some other stuff that uh, leads me down another direction too. Right. So our primary business, we own a sign company, sign and marketing company in uh, Northwestern Wisconsin. And, we work really hard and do all the stuff with that. And basically I was taught a long time ago that if you work really, really hard, well, then it'll allow you to play really hard. So pretty much everything we do is to subsidize our hunting. So a few years back, um, I purchased one of the Rambo bikes because again, we were going to Nebraska every year and spotting stock, like literally putting on 10 miles a day. And I looked at my wife and I said, you know, it's, I don't know how much more I can do this. Like my, my knees are getting shot doing this over and over. And you do that four days in a row. That's some serious miles you put on and maybe out West they do it different, but we're not used to that stuff back here in Wisconsin. That's not how we hunt. So it's, I literally like said, I'm going to buy one of these bikes and I'm going to, I'm going to see if this will make us go farther, make us do better, you know, get in and out less intrusive and all this stuff. So I purchased one of the beginning bikes. And I took it out there and I did everything that I did in four days of hunting out there in one day. And, you know, we're out there in September, it's 90 degrees. So, I mean, it's, you're not going to just go chucking through these hills, even if you're in good shape, you got to carry water, you got to do all these things. And, you know, I was probably 43 at the time. And so this like really extended our hunting ability and how we like, went out and did things. And then as we got back here, we found more ways to use them as far as going, checking your trail cameras and being less intrusive in your woods. You know, you're not putting steps down or any of those kind of things. So it's in the big picture of everything, it's going to extend my hunting abilities out. It kind of tends to make me a little lazy though. So 
I have to actually go out and ride for exercise once in a while, and which is tough to do in Wisconsin when it's 20 below zero. Heck yeah. You turn that thing into put a, put some, uh, a skis on it and turn it into some kind of snowmobile machine, <laughs> a snow machine. Actually, you know, you know, the snow machines that they have for the dirt bikes. Yeah. I saw a post the other day, some company in Canada came out one with, for electric bikes. I looked at my wife, I'm like, we need to buy them. Who could be the first ones to sell them? That would and be, she's yeah. like, you don't, you don't need to like get into any more things right now. <laughs> so. Yeah, That's crazy. So you bought, you bought your first Rambo bike. You weren't owner of it. You just bought one and was just a, just a consumer of the product. Yes. And then I, the following year I went to ATA and I was with a sporting goods shop, Synchro Outdoors, which is right across the street from where I live. And I went to, at that time was the Hudala show, which Bruce Hudala was a rep group. And I went in there and I wanted to see what Rambo had coming out because they were part of his repping group. And I looked over the bikes and was kind of, and these two gentlemen came up and were talking to each other about the bike and i was listening they owned archery shops and they're like well what do you think of these things and i'm like the greatest technological advancement in hunting in the last 20 years and they're like well do you work here i'm like no i'm like but i own one and i understand how this is going to make me a more efficient hunter especially as i get older and i kind of went in like how i used it and all this stuff and they ended up signing deals with that rep group i think they each bought 12 bikes or something while in the process the national sales rep came up to me and he goes, Hey, my name's so-and-so. And I'm like, Hey, and I'm like, he's like, he's like, you're the best salesperson I got. And long story short, now we're the Midwest distributor for Rambo electric bikes and X stand tree stands. And we travel around the country in the off season, going to the different deer classics and sports shows and things like that. And teaching people about Rambo bikes. Wow. That's pretty incredible. Well, I, you know what? That speaks of the product. I mean, you're so happy about the product. You spoke highly of it and boom, now you're selling bikes all over the place. Right. And it, what'd you say? The extreme stalker tree stand? Is that what you called it? No, X stand tree stand. So the same company that owns Rambo is a company called Alliance Outdoor Group. Okay. And they own X stand tree stands and they own Rambo electric bikes. Okay. Okay. That's cool. So they've kind of... They've kind of held the niche. I mean, there's a few big companies out there. I won't mention all the rest of the names because we're just going to advertise for ourselves. But there's certain bikes that are in the hunting industry. And then there's a whole bunch that aren't. And the big advantage to being with a company that's in the hunting industry is they have to use good components. Their bikes are going to go 10 miles back in. And if they break, you have to walk out. If you buy one of the cheaper, lesser bikes and you're just running around your local community and the bike breaks, you can just throw it in your truck and go home. So that being said, it's, there's a lot of new bike companies popping up and just really, really do your homework before you purchase something. Well, that's good. So with it being show season right now, which typically is, you know, all the big shows, the outdoor shows are going on right now, but they're not going on right now. Right. Um, we actually just a few weeks ago snuck over to Nebraska. They had their deer expo. And it was different. There, the numbers weren't there, but the people were there. But they made us all wear masks, which I'm not a huge fan of. But me, me neither. <laughs> you know, but it's better than not having shows. So, so far, the Iowa Deer Classic is still on. Uh, the Indianapolis Deer and Turkey Expo did get canceled. That was pretty early in the season. And certain states are a little more tight than others. So it's... What... Uh, have, have bike sales 
will it, will it slow the bike sales down not being able to get out to the shows? You know, I kind of thought that was going to happen, but the problem is people seem to have extra money and had more leisure time last year due to all this. So yeah. they were willing to spend the money on, I'm not going to say they were buying our super high end bikes, but they would buy a bike just to get out and do stuff. And a lot of people were working on their hunting lands and they had the time to do it because they were laid off or so sales, sales were good. Yeah, that's really neat. So what was your background, Jeremy? Do you, ha- you, you more have a background in sales and in, I mean, when you, when you're doing your sign express company, are you really selling, you're out selling and all that kind of stuff? So is your main background sales? My main background is graphic design and marketing. Okay. And along the way, as you own your own company, you learn that sales are pretty important. And, you know, I've, I don't know, it's just, I've always had a passion about the hunting side of it. And I've rep helped rep products along the way. And, been sponsored by different companies and things like that and it's all about driving sales to their product so regardless of what you're doing and what products you use I, I just won't use a product i don't believe in so it's i mean i've had a lot of opportunities along the way and i'm pretty brand loyal once i'm with something i mean unless something dramatically comes up that changes and it's so much better and even at that point i usually don't it takes a while for me to switch to something else so well, that's good, and that's what that's what makes that's what people why why people trust you because they know you're loyal. So, what's the what's the history of Rambo bikes? Like, how did it get started? How did somebody come up with that idea? To, I mean, do you know that whole backstory and then building bikes and that kind of thing? I do. So, six years ago, um, AOG, which is Lions Outdoor Group again, owned X Stand Tree Stand, and that was their primary company. And an older gentleman approached them and said, "Hey, I see these electric bikes." And you guys have the ability to, you know, go get things produced and made. All these electric bikes have skinny tires. And I think he was in his mid-70s, and he was just having trouble getting in and out to his stand. He didn't want to take a four-wheeler. He's like, could you guys get me made a bike with a fat tire with an electric motor? So they did a little bit of homework, looked into it, and there was nothing on the market that was done this way. So at the time a company by the name of quiet cat had a, a three wheeled scooter, electric scooter to get you in and out. And they were promoting the heck out of it. And Rambo produced this bike for that gentleman and then brought a small line in just to kind of see how it went. Well, the problem with the scooter is when it dies, you have to scoot it out. When your bike dies, you can still ride it. So they quickly went and had their manufacturer make them a bike and, and then Quiet Cat is now out in production. So, yeah, competition comes fast, don't it? It does. <laughs> well, what? Uh, let's let's talk about the bikes. Let's talk about um, you know there are other bikes on the market. Obviously, you you know you name some. We won't name any of them. But um, you guys got Rambo bikes. What what is the features that set Rambo bikes apart? Like what what do you guys if if, if somebody's coming in they're saying okay Jeremy I'm looking at X Y Z bike or I'm looking at this one. What are some of the things that that you feel really set you guys above um, in, in the industry and with your competition? So our number one selling point is that our customer service is absolutely stellar. And because we were the first one, we had the most time to develop and figure out what the issues were going to be. Some of these other companies are just playing the piggyback game and they can go and get a bike made and throw it out on the market, but they don't know what's going to, they don't know what's going to go wrong. They don't know how to, you know, they're not being proactive about what's the next evolution of things. So along the way, you know, it's, 
we figured out, well, this thing breaks a lot and we're warranting it a lot. Let's eliminate it or change it. So, and we've been around the longest, six years. So the next closest competitor is Quiet Cat and they were a year behind us. So I think all of those things, you know, anybody can go buy this exact same bike, you know, and same motors and all of those things, but it's, you'll learn which little components need to be tweaked and things like that. And if you're going to be in the hunting industry, you have to use top of the line components. You can't get by with, you know, there's bikes out there that are like 1500 bucks and they bought people buy them and they're like, Oh, this thing rides the same. It feels the same. And I'm like, yeah, how do you think they made it cheaper? And then their hubs break and then their frames crack and things like that. And they're like, Oh yeah, you know, I should have just bought this one. So Rambo is located in Lakeville, Minnesota which is the other big thing to me. So I've kind of been pretty brand loyal to local. So I shoot a Matthews bow because they're in Sparta, Wisconsin. Math or Rambo's is, you know, right down there. And that's my big selling point. It's like, well, you're right here in the Midwest. You know, if you have issues or anything, we're right here. We can take care of it. And it's a couple day ship on any of the products to get you to, to straighten anything out. If you have any issues, if you go to the other companies, they're in, West, you know, Colorado, Utah, I think. So not that that's a long logistics, but it is. And then a lot of these other bikes that are on the market are strictly overseas. So they don't have their parts and all that stuff stateside. So you're waiting weeks. And if that happens during hunting season, you don't have a bike. Yeah. So would you say with you guys being in Minnesota, um, are bike sales more territorial based on where the where the headquarters are, would you say you guys are more of a Midwest type company or are you, are you flooding some, uh, West no, so, Southwest? So as the Midwest distributor, um, a good friend of mine, Jan Klinger, who's out from Colorado, he owns Colorado e-bikes and he does very well out there. He's the number one distributor in the company. He beats me every year by just a little bit, just to make me feel like I'm in second place. And they do very well out there because they have a lot more land to ride them on. You know, and that's what the bikes were really, I mean, if you got 40 acres, you know, the bikes are very, very efficient and do what they're supposed to do. But, you know, how many people have 10 miles they can ride back in on, you know, out by you guys, they do. So there's huge advantages to having a bike out there. What does it take to be a distributor? Um, it's a little tough to be a distributor. A dealership is pretty easy. Um, I only know of like four distributors in the country. So, and it's kind of been a deal. Like those were the people who really helped Rambo expand in the beginning. And, you know, they, they don't just give that out to anybody. So I guess I don't actually know what, what their restrictions are, but I'm lucky to be one. And so. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I got to put, throw my hat in the ring here and get some things going here in Arizona. We'll take Rambo right? over. I mean, it's got the best name of all the bikes. By far. <laughs> I mean, I've been a Rambo fan. Listen, if you're in the outdoors and you're a hunter, you're a Rambo fan. So let's match right. it with the bike that you're going to be riding, right? Uh, I was The first thing I asked him, I'm like, how did you ever, where'd this name come from? And I'm like, how did you get it with the whole movie series and all that stuff? And they're like, they trademarked Rambo bikes. And it really has nothing to do with the movies. And I'm like, wow. And then Stallone came out with his new movie. And I'm like, let's get him on one of these things. Like, oh, it costs us a ton of money to do that. So, so what? what is the, is, is there any symbolicness to the name Rambo on the bike? I don't, I haven't, 
I've asked that question and never got a straight answer. It was a really good name, and they did a little test thing out there, and out of all the names they came up with, that was the one that people liked the best, and that's what they went with. Well, I like it, man. Oh, I loved it. I love the Rambo movies, and you know, I know it has nothing to do with it, but you know, some <laughs> little symbolism there. <laughs> he, shoot, he shoots arrows that blow up, man. How he can you not love those movies? <laughs> He's an archer. I think he was the first CrossFitter. I always tease my CrossFit gym that I work out at. I'll show Rocky Four when he was fighting uh, in Russia. You know, Ivan Dragal, and he was yep. doing all the running and lifting and uh, pull-ups and lifting. Uh, I don't know what they were horse carriages and all that. I'm like, this is the original CrossFitter. Rambo has done everything. Like anytime, it, this is a little sidetrack here, but all we need to take care of America's messed up spot right now is a new Rocky <laughs> and a new Rambo. Because if you look at all the history of Rockies and Rambos, every one of his movies has had a, a theme. You know, all of his Rambos, they had to come back from Vietnam, the Afghanistan war, the Russian war, uh, Japanese. I mean, you know, then human sex trafficking with the latest one that he came out with. And all of his Rockies were the same thing. He's fighting in Russia, trying to bring the world together. So I keep saying, we just need Stallone. Like, he'll unite this country. <laughs> uh, anyway. Absolutely. Um, what's, the number one, um, what's the number one selling bike that you guys have? Well, just for your duration, I'm going to say it's our entry-level bike with the Savage models just because we've sold the most of them. But um, we came out last year with an all-wheel drive model, and we're the only ones in the industry to have it. So we basically took every, all the bikes in the industry are pretty much mid-drives if you're in the hunting industry, and they're great. But if your chain fails, you're walking out. There's no way to make the motor drive if, it's, if the chain is busted. Well, with the all-wheel drive models, it's got hub motors. So a mid-drive is more efficient than a hub drive. But two mid drives are more efficient than, or two hub drives are more efficient than one mid drive. So if your chain breaks in our all wheel drive models, the bike still works as long as you have battery power. So that's a big deal just because of warranty issues and the things we've had over the years and how the chains break and things like that. Just you know, that's the number one problem with electric bikes is people treat them like they're dirt bikes, but they're not made like dirt bikes. So as soon as something breaks, you're walking out. You get a flat tire, you're walking out. So coming up with solutions to all those problems has kind of been like the big game plan over the last three years. That, that brings up some good questions like tire durability. Um, I'm in Arizona. It's rocky. Most everything, you know, we're the desert down here. We're south desert and everything is rocky. What, what's good tire durability? I mean, am, am I always in jeopardy? Of pop? I mean, you're always in jeopardy of popping a tire, probably vehicle or whatever. But I mean, good, thick, durable tires. So on our high-end bikes, we're running Maxxis tires, and on our mid-bikes, we're running Kevlar tires. But even in the Midwest, they have locust trees. You guys have cactus, those kind of things. They're going to pop your tires. So a simple solution is just to put slime in your tubes. You'll still pop your tire, but it will go flat slow. So you could carry a small pump with you or a CO2 cartridge and pump it up and get yourself back in. I've been working on a thing for the last couple of years now, and it's kind of part of our whole deal with this is to try to come up with new solutions and they make like uh the block targets are made out of like polyethylene and they make like an insulated tube that's like one inch thick so i bought a four inch round one inch thick and i folded it in half and i stuck it in the tire and then instead of running the standard four inch tube i ran a two inch tube all it does is make it thicker so it's less likely for that cactus or sticker to get all the way to the tube I still run slime. You still can pop them. 
But the big advantage is, is that if the tire actually goes flat, it will still, it won't de-bead. It'll still stay up like a run flat. And they're not very expensive. You can get them in like six foot lengths and there's a bunch of different companies that make them. And that's what I've been doing over the last few months, especially with the cold weather with like, if a tube gets popped and it's summer, it will leak slow. But if it gets cold, it just lets the air out of it. You can't even hardly pump it up. So we had to kind of come up with solutions that work in all conditions, not just a couple. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's ingenuity. What about battery power? So I, you know, I look at, I click on one of the bikes and it'll say, uh, you know, extended battery life or battery life will last this long. Uh, give maybe the listeners an idea, like pedal assist, how that works. Um, just using all out battery power and just using the, the bike as an e-bike and not really pedaling. So can you, can you really expect to get all that kind of battery power? Can you get more if you're pedaling it and just kind of uh, fill that in? So all of the base bikes will go 20 miles on a charge if you don't pedal. So they're designed to go 20 at full speed without you pedaling at all. When you pedal, you're helping it. So the batteries do not charge when you pedal. Those systems are very expensive to put on a bicycle and they only gain you like seven, eight percent. So it's just not worth putting any kind of charging system on them. Um, depending on the models, they have bigger batteries, longer lasting, more amp hours, things like that. So if you'll just pedal on your hills and your high where your motor's working the hardest, and you'll probably gain about another eight to ten miles. If you reduce your speed and pedal, you can get up an extra 20 miles. If you're a diehard biker and you can bike 30 miles, then you're going to go 40, 50 miles with the charge because the battery is just going to help you. That's not what most of us do with them. Most of us are trying to get in and out quiet, not get all hot and sweaty, and get to a point. So well, our new bike, we have a brand new bike called the Megatron. It's a 1,000 watt twin all-wheel drive has two batteries so it's 34 amp hours we just got them it's cold outside we haven't even really got a chance to test them to see how far they'll really go but they're claiming we're going to get close to 80 miles out of them so every year something new comes out so it'll change the industry that's incredible so um, i want to wrap my mind around this pedaling part so when you say going up hills or maybe when your motor's working the hardest when i'm pedaling am I pedaling like I'm actually driving the bike up the hill myself or is it just kind of pedaling at a nice motion and I'm not really exerting energy or am I exerting energy? Okay. Let's go down the classifications of electric bikes because that'll kind of explain how this all works. Okay. So there's a class one bike. So it has to be a maximum of 750 watts. It cannot have a throttle and it cannot be more than 40% assist at the pedals. So when you're pedaling, you're only getting 40% of the battery power or the bike's motor power. So all of our bikes are designed that way. A class two bike is exactly the same, but it is allowed to have a throttle. Your throttle gives you a hundred percent of the bike's power. So if you're not pedaling and you're just using the throttle, you'll actually can go faster than you can if you pedal the bike. So if you look at it this way, there's five levels in a bike, one, so Five is the fastest the bike will go would be the equivalent of you is pedaling as hard as you can. One would be 20%. So if you're pedaling and you're in one, you're really only getting nine and so on if you look at it that way. But the idea is most of the time people are using the throttle and going. And then if you set it at one, it's helping you a little bit. You come to a big hill and you bump it up to five, 
and it's a steep hill, you'll still feel yourself pedaling and you'll feel the energy you're putting into the bike. But it's like somebody's behind you pedaling just as hard as you are to help you. That's a cool feature. <laughs> That's pretty nice, right? Yeah. Well, let's talk about applications. Um, let's talk about the, where you're using them, you know, how people are using them, how you guys specifically use them for the outdoors. And I know we could just say everywhere, but why don't you give some examples <laughs> of, you know, how you're using them? Um, you know, obviously the efficiency we're talking, you're already talking about that get in without, you know, sweating and all that kind of stuff. And I'll, I'll tell a story of them as well from an efficiency standpoint, but um, maybe application wise, what do you see in the most, maybe from a, uh, you know, a Midwestern guy back hunt, or Midwest, you know, hunting whitetails. And then maybe for the Western guys as well. Right. Um, primarily back here. I mean, I, I really don't go into the woods without my bike anymore. Um, it is an efficiency thing and it's, it's letting me be less invasive in my properties, but it's also, it doesn't leave any scent. So it's actually more invasive for me to sneak down the trails in my woods than it is for me to ride my bike back there because I'm every step I leave, I'm leaving some form of scent where the bike just doesn't do that. Um, and then from a sound perspective, animals are trained that predators are trying to sneak in on them. So they hear those steps and snaps and twigs and things like that. The sound that the bike makes, it does have sounds and there's little clicks and things like that, but it doesn't sound like a human or a coyote or a predator sneaking up on a deer. It's kind of a weird whooshy noise. And when I first got mine, I kind of, that's what I was worried about. I'm like, Oh, this, you know, this makes noise. It's not dead quiet, but I've rolled by some of the biggest deer on my property back here in Wisconsin. And, I kind of learned that if you come in a little fast, and I'm not saying 20 miles an hour, but if you come in at like eight or nine miles an hour, which is way faster than you can walk, you can actually catch them off guard. And a lot of times they'll stand up where if they hear you coming, they'll either get up and leave quick or they will just lay down flat and let you go by. I've actually rode right by and they stood up and looked at me. And as long as I don't make direct eye contact with them so that they don't know that I'm that I know they're there. A lot of times they'll just stand there and let me ride right by. And there's, you can't do that with a four wheeler. They'll hear you coming. You can't do it with a truck, you know, and it's a lot of the state lands aren't allowing four wheelers and stuff anymore. Wisconsin closed down the, all that Northern land up in Shawamigan national forest. They put gates up, no trucks, no, no UTVs, no four wheelers, no nothing. But as long as you're under that 750 watt in a class two bike, it's not considered a motorized vehicle. And they can pretty much go anywhere. Biting that the law is like some of the state parks and stuff like that don't allow bikes. So if they don't allow bikes, you're still going to want to check with your local regs and all that stuff because some of the people are being silly about it. But for the most part, you can take these things anywhere. So in that aspect, I can go into spots that there's no way I was going to walk six miles back into public land. You know, some of the diehards that go a couple miles, but you're not going to go six. Well, with this, that's that's a few minutes. Not hot and sweaty. Carrying my climber in on a cart behind me. Climb up in the tree, hunt for the afternoon. If I shoot a really nice deer, I literally can put the whole thing in the cart, put my stand back on there and wheel out of there. Nobody even knows I was back there. You know, and you can get into some of these spots that just... You know, it was really good a few years ago. More and more people are getting bikes now. But a few years ago, like, nobody even knew about these things. And it's like... Some of the spots we got into, it, it makes you a way better hunter. Well, you're distributing them. You're you're creating your own competition there. <laughs> I know. That's I tend funny. to hunt more public or private land now than yeah. I used to. So. 
There's a, a, a trade off, right? So on your yeah. trails where you're coming in eight, nine miles an hour or so, are you just cleaning your trails up a little bit, moving some logs off and just having your trails more bike, uh, accessible then? Yeah. And I tend to come into my woods the same every time it, it lets my deer pattern me. So they're okay with it. You know, I don't, I don't go into my properties, you know, if I'm going in to check cameras or do any of that, and it's a non-hunting situation, I tend to only go in from 11 to 1. The hottest part of the day, the deer are most likely to be bedded down and comfortable with where they are. I don't want to bump my deer when they're up moving around in the mornings and the afternoons unless I'm going to my stands. So it's most of the time, it's like I've got the trails cut to get to my cameras, and i got a little loop on the property we have by us that's about 70 acres. And I can get in and out and check those five cameras in about six minutes. Just put my foot down with a rubber boot, pull the SD card, put the new one in, make sure the batteries are good, and off to the next one. And cell cameras and that kind of stuff help, but that's gonna you still are going to need to get into these things some, at some point and change batteries and do things like that. So it's the, less, the least intrusive person is going to shoot the biggest bucks, unless you're just lucky. So... Well, the whole scent thing, I mean, obviously you're talking whitetails and you always know that, man, deer smells a trail you walked in and I walk into your stand and I see one of your accessories is a little scent pad you can even put on your wheel, which I thought was, I laughed at it. I'm like, well, that's so ingenious. Just some scent pads, like you would drag a scent, but here it's just going to kind of put some scent down for you if you choose to use scent, but just the whole scent elimination piece. I mean, gosh, that's a selling point, just an incredible selling point. And the biggest downfall we have with people is they just don't understand the uses for it. So it's, it's a big purchase. I mean, I don't think so. Cause I have very expensive bows and equipment and all of these things. And this is just another tool that I have to have in my arsenal to shoot the quality of deer I'm looking for. But to the average person, it's like, just go price a good mountain bike, a good fat tire mountain bike. You can go to Walmart. Walmart sells fat tire mountain bikes, not electric ones. And I mean, just a basic bike is, you know, a thousand bucks, $1,500 without a motor. And we have bikes in that, you know, close to $2,000 range. So, I mean, you're right in the wheelhouse of buying a normal bike. And then we have bikes that are way more expensive than that. But it's, it's, you just have to base it off of what you're going to use it for. If you're going out to Colorado and you're going to go up into elevations and mountains and things like that, you're going to need a bike that has the power to handle that and be able to go to those situations where, our base bikes are more get you to your stand, kind of groomed trails, still got a fat tire, so it'll go off road, but you're not going to climb black diamond and ski hills with it. It's just not going to happen. Well, I did uh, one of my podcasts, give you two stories here. One of my podcasts, it's up and loaded. Connor Rollins, he's a kid from Utah. He's a hunter, a fitness dude, and, and I've been following him for a long time. I wanted to get him on the podcast. And I always end, usually my podcast, I'll, I'll end and say, hey, what's one of your, what, what's one piece of gear that you wouldn't go in the woods without? And he's like, ah, oh, dang, man, that's kind of tough because I got so many. He goes, but I will tell you, he goes, my e-bike. And the, when he explained it, it was, it was such a, such a, like an aha moment. It, what it's doing for him is allowing him to, to be more efficient in his hunting time. So he's, you know, he can run out after work, he can get on his e-bike, he can hit a trail and he can get up to the basin he wants to get to way faster because they can't take motorized vehicles in there and you can take right. bikes so he can get to the, you know, wherever he wants to get to the basin, the, you know, the, the ridge, whatever, and he can get there. And when he's done, he jumps back in, he goes, I, I'm back to my, my vehicle in quarter of the time. So I'm back home with my family. So just that efficiency standpoint of, um, how much more hunting it's allowing him to do 
that was a that was a huge selling point. I thought that was pretty good. And that was a Western perspective. Right. And so we hunted Nebraska. We hunt South Dakota now, but we hunted Nebraska for quite a few years, completely on foot, only walking areas. And there was quite a few people out there. It's public land. So as the average people would maybe walk a half mile, maybe a mile. So if you really wanted to find deer, you were going to have to go in four or five miles to get to these areas where these deer just weren't being disturbed. And we'd walk in five miles. Now you're going to walk a mile, mile and a half, just kind of scouting the area back there to see if you can find a buck you'd like to shoot. And then if you didn't find anything, you had to walk all the way back to your truck. Then you'd get in your truck and move down to the next set of ridges and go back in again. Well, we do that, you know, twice a day, three times a day. If you wanted to find a water tank and go put your camera on it, you'd have to walk two, three miles of that water tank, put your camera on it, go back out every time you wanted to check it. You'd have to go back in there. And it's like literally after four days, it's not, not that I'm, I'm not in great shape. So it's like for me to do that and I would kind of get ready, I'd go hiking and running and things like that prior to our trip in September, trying to get in shape. And that's not even counting altitude. That's a whole nother monster. And the first time we took the bikes out there, I ran out to one of the watering holes and I made it out there in like six minutes. And I didn't, I mean, I paddled, but I wasn't really, I don't worry about my scent as much when I'm out West because I got to play the wind no matter what. So if I want to help it or pedal a little bit more, I will. But I got out there and I set that camera on that water tank and I wheeled back to the truck and I come up over the hill and my wife's like, you went all the way out there already? Like, yeah, this thing does like 20 miles an hour. Like, how far is five miles? That's, you know, boom. You know, so then we ran them, took them down the ridges and the next deal and got back into our spot. And same thing, you know, we took our time getting back in there so we didn't bump stuff. But on the way out, you don't worry about that necessarily because you've already rode through there once. So in and out, we, we hit all of our five major spots we go to in one day. And I went, I'm going to be able to do this for years now. You know, we were going to probably be done trying to do this and get into other spots where, you know, maybe go into private land, which we're hunting now anyways, but it's still 30,000 acres. But the private land, so that I could use vehicles and things like that, just because I, I couldn't do that walking anymore with my knees and stuff. So, and then we get into private land. Now we use them all the time. We go sit on the big round bales out in the middle of the property and we watch all the draws and ridges. And then we wait to see which way the deer are going. And then once they determine which draw sequence they're going up into, we we take the bikes and ride all the way around to the other end and get in front of them to try to, and then to figure which draw they're coming up where if we jumped in the truck, it might not spook them, but they would still hear it. They'd hear it fire up. They might think it's the farmer, but that might be just enough to make them move one draw system over. They have no idea we're coming and that we're already out in front of them. You know, on some of our bikes do 30 miles an hour. So it's like, I can get down there and get in front and I can, get up on top of the highest point and I can see which drives in before he even starts up in that draw. And we've had very good success spot and stalking that way rather than the old way where you just keep following them around the hills for hours. Yeah. Trying to catch up to them, man. That's incredible. Um, so last year, uh, two of my buddies and I, we drew, uh, tags in Utah for a general mule deer unit. And we had, you know, we'd done a whole bunch of e-scouting and we decided where we we're going to pack in and we were going to go in about eight and a half miles, nine miles. And as you know, the West last year, horrible drought. And so we get to our, our trailhead. We just camped in our overnight. And next morning we got up and we packed our packs. We loaded everything. I mean, we we're, 
we're heavy packs and we decided each to take two gallons of water in with us because it's so dry. We weren't sure what we were going to find for water. So we needed enough to get back in there and then at least get back out if we couldn't find any water. So we struck out and it wasn't bad elevation. You know, we had a couple elevation climbs, but um, you know, it, was, it was brutal. It was like 90 some degrees. It was super hot. We got four and a half miles in and we're like, okay, I think we're going to stay here. We found a water hole and like, we're just going to stay here. I mean, it's so dry and it's so hot. We're not going back all the way back there to not find any water. And we found another local hunter there who had said, there's nothing back there for water. You have to stay up this way. And we're like, oh, okay. So next morning we, we hunted and then we decided to go walk that day after our morning hunt to another four and a half miles in. We left our camps where we were, but just go four and a half miles in to check out a couple other areas where we knew there, there could be potential water. So you know how it is. I mean, we got, you know, we didn't have our heavy packs on them, but we got day packs and food and water. And we get all the way there. I mean, it was, it was hot. It just couldn't escape the heat. And so we got there, filled up our water, and we're going to head back to camp during that day. And I told my buddy, I'm like, I'm just going to take my time. Like, I'm in no hurry because I'll, I'll hunt my way back. It, although it's so hot, nothing's out. But maybe I'll get about a mile and a half from camp and then, you know, stay there the rest of the night and then walk my way back at dark. So we decided, you know, we'll just walk slow. And, and we, we got to back to the top of this mountain and we sit down under this hill and we sit down to eat some trail mix and have some water and just take a break and we're like let's take a catch a little nap it's not probably 11 12 one o'clock i don't know something like that and all of a sudden here comes these two dudes on uh, e-bikes <laughs> and, and so they <laughs> stood like hey how are you and we were like hey guys and we stood up and we talked to them they're older gentlemen they were probably in their 60s and uh, we you know, just talked about what they were doing and what they were you know they weren't hunting they were just out trail riding and i asked them i said where did you where'd you park and they said oh back at so-and-so trailhead and I'm like, did you see my big white tundra? He goes, yeah, we parked our trucks right next to the tundra. And I'm like, okay, how long did it take you to get here <clears throat> to this spot right here? He said, well, we rode right here. Uh, one guy said, he goes, looked at his watch. He goes, uh, I'd say probably 30, 40 minutes. It took us, if we would have walked it straight, it would have been uh, nine hours. Right? No, 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 it wasn't that long. Let's see, it took us, yeah, it took us four and a half hours to get it was slow going because it was so hot. We were having to stop quite quite a bit. So it, it took us, it would have taken us all day to get there. They were there in 30, 35 minutes on those bikes. I'm like, man, we're missing the boat. Like we wasted so much energy and so much water because there's a great trail to get us all the way back in here. Like these things are a game changer. All right. So. And even when you're out and about, like say you went into Point X and you're just doing some scouting or you're, you know, you're going to go in and, to see if there's any animals there that are even in the area. Well, if you walk in five miles and you walk back out five miles, how much water do you have to carry to do that? I mean, really, if there's no water. So, I mean, you have that extra weight and water weighs a lot. And with the bikes, like when we're out there, literally like we can turn and like, okay, let's run back to the truck quick. I know it's a little bit out of the way, but it's, it's nine minutes. Let's run back to the truck. Let's grab the cooler. We got ice water in the coolers, you know, grab something to eat quick and then we'll head over here and check this out. So like where we hunt now, we kind of leave the truck right in the middle of everything, unload the bikes and then go from there. If we're going to go far on the far end of the other end of the property or something, we'll load the bikes up and go down to that end, you know, just to make things more efficient, but we're not running through the heart of everything all the time. We're literally just little excursions in and out back and forth, get to these high points where we can see the farthest and anything that might've made me a little, a little less of a hunter only because my patience is probably not quite as good as it used to be. Cause if I had to walk five miles, I'd probably sit something out a lot longer than I do now that I have the bike. Cause that's five minutes from anywhere. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty good. Well, what about turkey hunting? How are you guys using them 
you know, turkey hunts coming up for a lot of people. I, I got to imagine they're excellent for turkey hunting, you know, usually hunting field edges and stuff like that. And, you know, carrying a blind and all that. And with your accessories, your, your, uh, trailers and, um, carts and all that kind of stuff. I got to imagine they're pretty, pretty beneficial for turkey hunters. Yes. And same kind of thing as I told you with the deer, it's the only thing I've ever found that I can ride right by a turkey. And as long as I don't stop, I'm not saying I'm going to be able to ride eight feet from it, but if it's out in a field and I run down the far field edge and I see them out there and I don't stop, I just keep right on going. They will just look at me like you're in a truck. Don't stop. Get off into the far corner of it, dump the bike and start calling, you know, wait about five, six minutes. They kind of forgot that the bike went by and then you start calling and they'll come right over to you. So it's, there's all kinds of advantages that way, you know, and, and just being able to run into a property with the bike quiet, get to a point, call a little bit, nothing, run over the other end of the property real quiet, call a little bit, nothing, run to the north end of the property, call a little bit. Oh, I got a response. And if you're riding along and you just stop every once in a while and call, it's kind of like you do when you walk, but if you just dump that bike over, you know, and just set up and start calling nine out of 10 times, they're going to come to you as long as they weren't, as long as they didn't flat out see you on the bike and you stopped and they saw you stop. So this is going to be a dumb question, Jeremy, but. Okay. <laughs> There's okay. no dumb question. Well, this could be kind of dumb, but I'm, I, as you were talking about it, 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 might, it popped into my mind. So let's say I am driving down a road. Let's say I'm, um, I'm, I'm mostly an archery hunter. I'm 99.9% an archery hunter, but let's say I got a shotgun over my shoulder and I'm a turkey hunter and I'm rolling in my, uh, you know, little tractor uh, logging road up through my property and I come upon a turkey. Can I shoot it from my bike? They're not considered motorized vehicles. So I, I would check with your local lock. I don't want to give, give somebody the opinion they can do this, but it's not considered a motorized vehicle. So literally, if you got to stop, you're going to have to put your foot down. And as soon as your foot's down, it's not moving anymore. And you can, yeah, you should be able to shoot. I, I told you it's kind and of if a you're going to get good enough you. to ride in and shoot one handed. Well, then that might be a different story, but that's going to take some serious skill. Yeah, that's, that's an obstacle <laughs> well, course. You working can on on. It. Yeah. Well, I thought it was kind of a dumb question, but you know, somebody will ask me that. So why didn't you ask him if you can shoot from it? Well, I just did. So I got that out of there. Um, right. And keep in mind, so the class three bikes, anything over a 750 watt is considered a class three because it goes over that 20 miles an hour. So those are considered motorized vehicles. I'm hoping they're going to change the laws and set speed limits because I tell everybody, it makes no sense to me. If I have a Lamborghini and it does 200 miles an hour and I'm in a school zone, I can't go 200 miles an hour. So instead of doing all this, just set speed limits. You know, the bikes are just as safe if they set a speed limit, something like 15, 16 miles an hour, then every bike is just as safe as every other bike. But as soon as they hit 30, 40, 50 miles an hour, well, now all of a sudden that's a car or a truck or a four-wheeler, even if you are just wheeling around at 10, 15 miles an hour. Well, that was, that was actually going to be my next question. There's, is there restricted areas or are they open to anywhere you can have bikes? Because I, I have seen discussion when these kind of really started making their way out. Um, people saying, yeah, but you can't ride them and so-and-so. So it, it depends on the class of the bike. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And certain areas... So I don't know the exact details to this, but like all the BLM land out there, they closed e-bikes on all that land originally. And then our wonderful president signed a thing basically saying that if you're not going to allow these to be on there, then you're not going to get your federal funding. So they quickly 
changed their mind and allowed the bikes in there. So I think what they're worried about is there are electric dirt bikes and there are electric four wheelers and there's electric UTVs now. So where does it stop? You know, are those all going to be allowed in there too? You know, and is it the reason they don't want them in there is because they're destructive? They, do they think they're destructive? Because like a dirt bike would tear things up. Well, the current bikes and the base models, they don't have, they have tons of power and torque, but they're not going to like smoke your tire when you take off, you know, that kind of stuff. They're not going to rip the ground up like what a four-wheeler or a dirt bike could. So, and I don't know a lot about the electric side of that industry as far as like UTVs and stuff. I don't know how much power those have. I know like, what is it? The bad boy buggy carts and stuff like that. I mean, they move very well and they pull a lot of things and they are very efficient, but they don't like smoke their tires, do they? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't I, think so either. I've never seen, there's a golf, we're in golf court, or golf, golf cart heaven here in Arizona where people drive them all over the roads are street legal. And I've never seen anybody spinning their tires at a stoplight anyway. <laughs> right. But yet the thing hit 12, 13, 14 miles an hour pretty quickly, Yeah, but they're just, it's not the same kind of power. It's, and then, I mean, I, I can make the back tire spin if I take all my weight off of the back of it and hit the throttle and lift up on it. It'll spin and smoke the tires. But why would you be doing that Yeah, in a normal situation unless you were trying to showboat? So basically... That's the tough thing. It's all it takes is a couple of people to kind of ruin it. You know, it's you're always going to have that one person out there who has to go 30 miles an hour everywhere they go. And then that's that's the problem. You know, it's where they go where they're not supposed to go with the things and then that ruins it because they're like, well, this guy did it. That means everybody's going to do it. No, it doesn't. Most people are very good about it and, how, and following the rules and doing things the right way. That's the truth. The vast majority of outdoorsmen are really good people. There's just a handful of knuckleheads out there that try to ruin it for everybody. Right. Um, and they move around a lot. So we got <laughs> to watch out for them. So um, well, just check with your local, just check with each, uh, you know, state, National Forest, yep. BLM, just make sure you every, check with every, It's not even just state. The state might say, yeah, this is... So the federal mandate says that anything that's under 750 watts is considered a Class 2 bike. It is legal on state or on federal lands. But it's up to each state to decide whether they want to follow that federal mandate or if they want to do something different. And then it's case by case. Like, So Interstate Park is a park that's really close to me. They don't want, You can ride bikes on all the trails and all the roads but you can't ride bikes on the hiking paths or any of that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I can take my Rambo, go down in there, ride all over on the, the normal roads that the cars can go. You know, it's not a motorized vehicle. So you want to ride it down your city streets and stuff. You don't need any special license, even for the 30 mile an hour ones, you don't. But if you get caught going 35 miles an hour in a 25 mile an hour or a 15 mile an hour school zone, you're still being illegal. So, I mean, if a cop radars you, he probably would give you a speeding ticket, even though you're on a bicycle. That's pretty incredible. <laughs> um, and I have passed cars before. Like, it's my favorite thing to do is you're wheeling down the road and you get some person who's just, you know, sightseeing, going slow, and they're running around in the 35-mile-an-hour zone doing 15, and you just go wheeling by them, and I purposely just barely move my legs when I do it. Oh, that's funny. Like, just to, like, look at me. I'm so efficient and in such great shape that yeah. I can wheel this bike along at 30 miles an hour, and I'd hardly even have to settle. It's got such good gearing. <laughs> Flip it, flipping business cards in their window, right? Right. <laughs> as, as you pass them. Um, what about suspension wise? So uh, again, I'm just thinking Arizona, I'm thinking some of the Utah, some of the areas, real rough roads. How do those ride like suspension wise through some of that real rough, rocky stuff? 
as long as you have a front fork shock system on them. And then I usually run a hydraulic seat post just to make the ride a little more comfortable. You can stand. And if you're standing, your legs are absorbing that kind of stuff. And with the fat tires, the fat tires give it kind of a suspension depending on how hard you're running the air pressure. I mean, these tires can go from like 30, almost up to 30 on some of the models down to eight. So if you're running in snow and mud and deep sand and things, you're going to want to run a lower air pressure, which gives the bike kind of a suspension itself. Then if you're going to run primarily on roads and things like that, you crank these things up to like over 20 pounds and it's running on like one inch of rubber. So they're very efficient. So you can make a, you make a fat tire skinny, but you can't make a skinny tire fat. Oh, that's good. So, and that's where the whole off-road thing comes in play. But front fork shocks are a must for me for how I ride. And I raced dirt bikes and stuff when I was a kid. So it's not that I'm some amazing rider, but I'll probably do stuff that the normal person wouldn't. So it's on how we ride and things like that. Like without a front fork shock, if you aren't paying attention to what you're doing and you hit something or all of a sudden the ground goes away in front of you, you can easily go over the handlebars, especially if you're wheeling along at 21 miles an hour in tall grass or something where if you have that front fork shock and you know, there's something there or a rock or a bump that takes up that energy and just, and it's easier on your shoulders and your neck and your back. And that's, I mean, I'm constantly wearing a backpack when I'm going too. So like I have my bow in my backpack they have bow holders and stuff like that, but I found eventually over a duration of owning a bike, you were going to fall down or crash at some point. And if your bow is attached to your bike, your bow goes down with your bike. If it's in your backpack. Doesn't mean you're still not going to get hurt, but you can kind of save it. So. That makes sense. What about accessories? What are your top accessories? I see the carts and some of that kind of stuff. Is that, is that a real, does it add a lot to the bike? Or, I mean, it's just, you throw a backpack on there and a bow on there, turkey blind type thing. Is that a, a benefit to pick up a cart? The big thing with the cart is if you're going to go in with a stand or something like that, or a climber, or even like the, the new big thing is these, you know, saddles and stuff like that. All that stuff efficiently will sit in that cart and it's relatively light. But our bikes will haul, depending on the model, all of our bikes will haul a deer in that cart. You might have to pedal and you have to be in the right gear and you might even have to gut it depending on how big your deer is if you're going to try to get it out of some of these areas. The more money you spend, the more power the bikes have. Our all-wheel drive model, I don't have to gut anything. I shot an amazing mule deer this year in South Dakota and we took the cart off the bike, went over across this drainage ditch, loaded up the, the deer in the cart. Me and my wife, got, we, I mean, this wasn't something you could terrain, like even dragging the deer down through this would have been hard. So she took the back of the cart, I took the front of the cart, and we used the wheels and we got it down through this drainage ditch and back up and under the fence. And then when we got to terrain that was relatively smooth, I won't even say it was really hilly still, but it was smooth terrain, we hooked it back up to the bike and I drove it all the way to the truck and then loaded it up in the truck and we never gutted the deer. And it, it was a very nice mule deer. So it was not like it was some little bitty deer. It's, I didn't weigh it, but I'm going to say it was, you know, pushing close to 200 pounds. So with all that in there and the bike still pulled it very efficiently. Well, that's a selling point right there. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, I've, I've... And the way the carts are designed, it's very lightweight. So when it folds up, so if you did have to, we say you shot a deer out in a swamp, you're not going to drive the bike out into this swamp. 
even though you can go through the wet water and some of that kind of stuff, but you know, to a point, but the cart can detach from the bike and you can walk that thing in very, very light, put it in there. And it, it's just better than dragging it. It still has wheels and it's, you know, you get to a tree or something like that. You just pick it up and go over the top. And when you get to where the bike can haul it, you just hook it up and go. Yeah, they look pretty cool. They look pretty cool. So my last question for you, kind of to bring it all home here, like purchasing wise, what what, what are all the purchasing options? Is it just all at once? Do they finance these bikes or how, how does it work? There's financing options. I mean, I found most of the people who understand them, they, they, they just purchase them. Most people are tire kickers. So they look and look and look and look. And when they finally decide to buy, there's no stopping them. They're, they're going and they're going to get one. But what we've really found is that if you can ride them, that's the deal breaker. Like you can put them up in your showroom floor and they can be that shiny, nice new hunting thing there. But you let them demo a couple of them, rent them for the weekend. When they come back, they're not giving the bike back. They've, they've figured it out, like how, how much better things are using something like this. So. Well, that's cool. Well, any last thoughts on them, Jeremy? Anything about the bikes I didn't really ask? I, I tried to ask everything that could come to my mind that I've been thinking about them for so long. But anything I'm missing that you think is beneficial for people to know about uh, your bikes? I guess the only other real thing is that if you're going to run them in cold weather because of the lithium-ion batteries, lithium-ion batteries do not like cold. And all of these bikes are lithium-ions. So it's um, what we found, because we had to deal with this and we've been kind of working, we sold them to people in Canada and things like that, is that if you take like a neoprene wrap, like those workout belts you put on to like lose weight, find the longest, widest one you can and just wrap the battery up. And then stick a couple hand warmers in there. It pretty much will run all day on a couple hand warmers. But we bought some electric, you know, blankety type things and put them on there. And even the simplest electrical heat element would drain that battery down over a couple hours. So it just wasn't efficient. Or if depending on how you're hunting, if you're hunting from a heated stand or any of that kind of stuff, you could take the battery off. They simply come off with a key, put it in your backpack, anything to get it out of that wind and the really cold elements when you're, you know, you're going to go out on an all day hunt in, you know, December or something, usually you're not, but if it's in November and it does get cold sometimes, you know, you're going to go in for an all day hunt. When you come out and get on that bike and you hit that throttle, it's going to say it's still at like a hundred percent. It's going to go about four feet and it's going to fall on its face because that battery got so cold. Kind of like uh, our bodies do when they get so cold. Right. It's even like your cell phone. If you don't keep your cell phone yeah. inside on your inside pocket, you leave it on the outside, you'll go out and it doesn't take very long for them to get really cold. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how do the listeners, so, um, so you being in the Midwest up in Northern Wisconsin area, um, do you sell bikes all over? Or do they have to contact a distributor in their local area? How does that work? So you contact a dealer. A dealer. I'm sorry. And if, yep. So you can either go to my website, which is ebikepros.com. And they're all available and online there. They would just, we just ship them to you. Um, and then, or they can go log on to rambo.com and on the rambobikes.com. And on there, they will give you a dealer location where you can see if there's a local dealer. Cause I mean, it's a big purchase. You're going to want to play with it, touch it. Or if you're out at any of the local hunting shows, deer classics, things like that. Most, we do almost all of those. So like we'll be down in Iowa 
um, first part of March and we'll have a whole display with all the bikes there and you can stop in and take a look at them and see them and touch them. And I don't know if they'll let us ride them there, but you'll get the gist of it by just having us go through how they work. Well, that's cool. Well, Jeremy, man, I appreciate you taking some time out. I know you're a busy guy. You got, you wear many hats and, uh, it's late for you, later for you than it is me. I'm still one. I'm only one hour behind you here, but uh, I appreciate you taking time out and jumping on and sharing a little bit more about the bikes. It's, it, like you said, I, I think it's you know, technically it's one of the uh, technologically it's one of the greatest advancements we've had in the hunting industry for everything that you're talking about. I don't even I haven't even I don't even own one. I haven't even used one yet. So just as I hear <laughs> everything you're talking about, I can't imagine when I do get one what it's going to be like. Just uh, you know, seeing all the benefits. I have so many areas that I hunt here in Arizona. Um, that it would be a huge benefit. There's some areas that I got to walk, you know, mile, mile and a half, two miles to get in. And then I got to climb up a high point. I mean, where I can't, you know, I could, I could ride a bike right to it easily. Um, and right. it, it could save me a ton and, and make the efficiency of hunting a lot better. So well, when you're ready to pull the trigger, you let me know, we'll get you one. I know it. I know it. I, JJ told me, he goes, Jeremy's a guy you got to talk to. So this is a great <laughs> start and you got me all fired up. So I can't wait to get my, I can't wait to have pictures of myself on one, uh, seeing if it'll haul an elk out. Let's put this thing to the test, huh? You have to cut it up into pieces, but it'll take it well, out. That's in pieces. all right. I, I got to cut it into pieces <laughs> to haul it out on my shoulder anyway. So, <laughs> right. Well, great, man. Well, I appreciate you very much, Jeremy, for taking time out to do this and uh, being part of the Fit Archer podcast and sharing some information here. And um, I'll put all the uh, I'll put the links for ebikepros.com and your phone number up on. Uh, I won't put your phone number up, but ebike pros. I'll put up in a link in the show notes. Phone. You can put my cell number on there. That's fine. Okay. All right. If anybody's got questions, have them reach out to you. And uh, are you on Instagram? I am not. I'm working on it. I guess that's really important. But at my age, I, I went with the Facebook way. You missed the boat, I man. Really got it. I missed the boat. I know. <laughs> I'm 45. And I'm trying to figure it out. I'm like, I think I'm a few years behind. Now everybody's <laughs> off. Now everybody's moving off Instagram. They're all on TikTok. I'm like, I'm just starting to get Instagram figured out. Come on, guys. Right. <laughs> so, well, I'll put your Facebook post up or your Facebook handle up and uh, your website handle up and uh, hopefully point some, some listeners your way and get some sales for you. Get that guy in Colorado down to number two and you up to number one. Perfect. I appreciate the opportunity to be on here. You do a great job. Yeah, I appreciate it, Jeremy. All right. Well, I look forward to touching base with you again soon and getting you back on. Maybe after the season when you, you know, pound some animals down next fall, we'll talk about how you used them. And uh, by then I should have one and uh, how I've used it as well. Sounds great. All right, buddy. All right. Take care. Thanks for joining. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.